Well, this morning, I really do want to say thank you for coming and not staying at home and watching the Commonwealth Games or doing anything like that. It's, it's good that you're, you're here today. Um, speaking of the Commonwealth Games, some of you would know, some of you won't know, that um, in the first service, most Sundays, well, every Sunday when he's actually in Auckland, we have the New Zealand Sevens captain, DJ Forbes, part of our church family here. So, you know, as we've been talking and, and about being full-time ministers, I think it'd be really good for us just to pray, just to pray for him and really lift him up and ask that God really works through him and he's a great example for the kingdom of God to the team, to the other athletes around him and to the world. And also, the Bible says we can pray for success and I'd like to see us win another gold medal. So why don't we just pray for DJ right now? Let's all pray for him. Jesus' name. Father, as a, as a family, as, as one body, we lift up, Lord DJ, to you right now, and we just ask for your blessing, Lord, your anointing, your enabling to come upon him, Lord, that he will be able to lead that team, Lord, the way you'd want him to. Father, he'd be one that really stands up, Lord, and is a full-time minister for you in the place that you've placed him, Lord, with the gifts you've given him. Father, we just ask right now, Lord, that as we see him on TV, Lord, he's just able to really represent you, Lord, to show everyone, Lord, the whole world, Lord, what it means to be a Christian. Father, I just ask for amazing opportunities. Father, and we do pray for success. God, bless him. Lord, let him come back. Lord, with a gold medal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do keep praying for him over the next couple of days. I think the final's not tonight, but next weekend. Well, Pastor Tark has sent me an email um, basically saying he's having a great time over in Vietnam now in Singapore. But we have been having some awesome Thursday night prayer meetings, you know, from 6 till 7 in here. Really want to encourage you, come along if you haven't been along yet. This Thursday, Pastor Tark's leading the prayer meeting, and his focus is on workplace. And so his focus is, is three things, finances, financial blessing, debt reduction, and increased income, workplace success and promotion, and finally, revival in your workplace. So I really want to encourage you to come along. Now remember, it's not just when we talk workplace, we're talking about where you are. So if you are got the amazing privilege of being a stay-at-home mum, there's your workplace. That's where you're a full-time minister. If you get to, are lucky enough to stay home and you're semi-retired or, or whatever, that's your workplace. The people you meet, that kind of thing. So I really want to encourage you to come along and be part of it. Well, today I have to warn you. I'm going to be sharing something with you that may shock you, surprise you, but maybe even offend some people. I've felt for a few months that I need to preach on a subject that is not often talked about anywhere, really. It's a word that starts with C, and many would feel is actually outdated. And it's just totally unacceptable to even mention it anymore in society. It is censored from most Hollywood TV shows. So if you've got young children around, you might need to cover their ears. Because this morning, I really feel, oh, it's really hard to mention it, actually. You're, you're going to be shocked. Because I really feel that God wants us to look at commitment. I mean, that is censored from every television show, isn't it? Honestly, the first service even laughed at that, but anyway. So please don't get offended if we talk about commitment, because it's actually what God wants. 
You know, it's not talked about much at all anymore in society, but also in church. You know, the world thinks that commitment is a dirty word. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about every aspect of life. Our culture has developed into one where if you don't like something, get rid of it. If it becomes too difficult, just quit. If something doesn't come easy for you, then just simply walk away. Now, most of us have heard that fable of the pig and the chicken, or the bacon and the eggs. You'll see it on the slide there. It's a little cartoon. A pig and a chicken were walking down the road. The chicken says, hey, pig, I was thinking, we should open a restaurant. The pig replies, hmm, what should we call it? The chicken responds, now it says up there, ham and egg, but how about bacon and eggs? The pig thinks for a moment and says, no thanks. I'd be committed, but you'd just be involved. Think about it for a moment. Wait, the balcony's got it. See, the truth is, who wants an egg pie? No one wants an egg pie. We want a bacon and egg pie, right? No one wants just eggs for breakfast. We want bacon and eggs. See, life is a little, a little bit like bacon and eggs. Everyone, everyone wants to be the chicken because then we're just involved as little as we can be. But the truth is, it doesn't work like that. Everything means so much more when we are committed. You know, life is a bit like bacon and eggs. If you're just having the eggs, it's just not enough. It's not the same. It's not as enjoyable. I really want to encourage you to see commitment. It actually adds something to life. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. See, God isn't, not, isn't just looking for commitment. He actually wants to bless it. He wants to see it increase in your life. In the dictionary, commitment is defined as the act of binding yourself intellectually and or emotionally to a course of action. A commitment is promising or making an agreement to do something in the future. It implies obligation and contractual agreements and all that sort of thing. But commitment is not, being, it's not about being forced or coerced to do something. It's an ongoing decision to stick at things no matter what is happening. And that is really important. Like I said, commitment has become somewhat of a dirty word or something that is old-fashioned. But today, I believe God wants to give us a new perspective or attitude towards commitment. Now, I really want to say this message isn't meant to be a harsh or condemning message. Because I think as we get God's heart and understanding on commitment, it's freeing. It releases us to the things that God wants. And it also helps us to get the best out of life. You know, the truth is that we're all committed to something. But out there in the world, and probably for most of us in here, because that's where we are, what we're committed to is ourselves. We're committed to me. And what is best for me? What is going to make me happy? Not everyone else, or not other things. Imagine for a moment that in making a commitment and keeping it, you're choosing to invest into a better life, a life of peace, a life of fulfillment, of happiness, of contentment. Who wouldn't want that? And yet even the Bible says that committed people are hard to find. Psalm 12 verse 1 should be up there on the screen. Help Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. 
Now, I hear you thinking, aren't we talking about commitment, but you've used faithfulness? Well, I don't really know, but I Googled it, and I found out that the root Hebrew word of faithful and commitment is the same thing. And it actually boils down to, we would say Nathan, Nathan, but it's actually said Nathan. And Nathan means to give of yourself. Or a, a better way of understanding it is like committed to bringing up a child. You know, if you have a child, when they're born, you're committed to it. And you're committed to bringing that child right through. That is the thought of commitment or being faithful, as being dedicated to bringing that young child or baby right up to their adult years. So today I want us to look at four commitments that affect most of us. Our commitment to God, to church, our commitment to our family, and to marriage. But before we get into those points, I want us to look at three Bible greats who showed amazing commitment, and hopefully they will inspire you. They'll inspire you to follow through on your commitments, but also that you'll see the power when you keep your commitments, what you can achieve. So first, let's think of Noah. You know, here we've got Noah. God's come down to him and asked him to build this ark. Now, we can understand flooding in New Zealand, but back then, they'd never seen rain. I mean, I don't know what he was even thinking. How's God going to flood the earth? But God's able. And everyone was saying he was crazy. And for 120 years, he built this ark. I mean, that is commitment, isn't it? And to me, Noah really speaks of making a commitment to God, to being a full-time minister for him every day in the community, like I've been talking about, like we've been hearing the last few weeks. See, Noah stayed committed to what God had commissioned him to do. And through doing that, what did he do? He saved the world. He saved, saved lives. He changed people. And that's what we can do if we stay committed to the commission that God has given us wherever we're committed or commissioned to. So what about Ruth? Some would say that she showed the most commitment out of everyone in Scripture other than Jesus. See, here she was. She got married to a foreigner. And then all of a sudden, her husband died. And her father-in-law died. And then her brother-in-law died. So she's there with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And basically, she's consigned to a life of poverty. Because when there's no more men in your life, there's no way of making income. And let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. You might want to turn there, because this is quite powerful if you've got a Bible. But if you don't, you can just look up on the screen. Oh, yeah, it's there. So it's up to you. Ruth 1, 16 to 17, she says, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So you've got to see Ruth was committed. She was committed to her family. See, apparently when Ruth was working in the fields under Boaz, she was earning basically nothing. You and I wouldn't even get out of bed to earn what she was earning. But there while she was working under the hot sun, she could actually see up in the distance the mountains of where she used to live. There she lived a, a life of um, comfort, a good lifestyle, maybe even she had a little bit of money. But she never wavered from her decision. You know, this is a great example of commitment to family. But it also is seeing Romans 8, verse 28 at work, where we know, what does it say? 
We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, I think the other thing that we can easily miss is by doing that, Ruth not only remarried, but she became the great-grandmother of King David and became in line, the line to Jesus' throne. Well, not to Jesus' throne, the descendant of Jesus. But see, that's what happens when you stay committed. So the last person we need to look at, of course, is Jesus and his commitment to mankind when he went to the cross. You know, we've celebrated communion this morning. Now, commitment is doing something when the promise or the feeling, the mood that you made that promise in has gone. That's when real commitment is tested. Now, just imagine for a moment, you know, Jesus is there. He's about to go to the cross. Now, Jesus went to the cross because he loves us. But he didn't go there with a smile on his face going, yeah, today I'm finally going to the cross. I've been so looking forward to this. He wasn't like that. He was not like that. He wasn't skipping. Look at Matthew 26. It records two times. It's up there on the screen. That Jesus asked God the Father, if it was possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, let me not have to go through this. But see, he loved all of us. He loved mankind so much. And he was committed to us that he went through that all so that we could be saved. That is real commitment. That is a real example of staying committed even when the, the whole thing is just going to hurt us or be difficult. Because the truth is, real commitment, we stick at it when things get rocky, when things get tough. So before we look at marriage, I want to tell you a story that Pastor Steve shared with me during the week. See, God had laid this message on my heart, but hearing this story really confirms we need to talk about commitment. So many years ago, Pastor Steve used to be involved in the fitness industry. And a long time ago, there was this thing, I think it still kind of exists today, this Body for Life Challenge. And it's basically where for 12 weeks you commit to competing against other people, not just in New Zealand, but right around the world, to see you can lose the most weight and look the best after 12 weeks. Well, Pastor Steve being involved in like, organizing it, he talked to the people who were involved from around the world. And you know what was very interesting? New Zealand had this thing known about them, that New Zealand and people from New Zealand were the worst at committing and completing the Body for Life Challenge. And not worse by a little bit. We were the long way worse versus all these nations. So it is obviously an an issue in our nation, this commitment, the staying committed to the things that we say we're going to do. So let's look at these four points. So first, marriage. We live in an age where a lot of people don't want to make the commitment to marriage. They prefer to live together, and then I guess it's easy. When things get rocky or tough, they just walk away. And if you don't know this yet, or maybe you're newly married like some people around here, it does get rocky sometimes. That's normal. That's part of a relationship. There's a little bit of tension. You know, the Bible says, and I was talking about it this week, you know, iron sharpens iron. We need our spouse. Hopefully they do make us a little bit better. I was talking to Jody during the week about this message, and I was going to say, you know, that for Jody and I, the first year was a bit tough, and she said, no, no, it was the first three years. <laughs> but after ten and a half years, I can certainly tell you it is worth it. Now, God led me to this book by uh, Shanti Feldhan, and 
It's a book called The Good News About Marriage. And I just want to share some things from this because I think it's really important that we hear this this morning. So many of us would have heard that statistic about how many marriages end in divorce. Does anyone remember that large number? Not quite that high. 50, they say, and this is what's used right around the world as a, as a correct, accurate stat, that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, as I was researching this, there were people preaching this all around the world, that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Well, let me tell you, it's a lot of baloney. It's, it's not true at all. Now, and this is basically the whole reason for this book, is to show you Christians, to show the world that actually the divorce rate is nowhere near 50%. Now, I want to be honest. Marriages do end for all sorts of reasons, and I certainly don't want to condemn anyone or make anyone feel bad today. But like we've just heard, I want to bring hope. I want to bring hope to marriages and to relationships that are in a little bit of difficulty. There's a passage in the Bible that says, without vision, or other translations says, without hope, people perish. But the irony is, is that if you just look around in the church, there is hope. You see marriages that have been together for 30, 40, 50, even 60 years that are thriving. And there's nowhere near 50% of marriages in divorce, not even close. Most marriages are successful and happy. Now, every study that has ever been done has found the rate of divorce among those who regularly attend church is much lower than those who don't. Now, let me tell you, that is enough of a reason just to attend church every week, just so that you have a happy marriage, because really, it makes a big difference to your life. Those who attend worship services regularly have an average drop-off of roughly 50... Oh, better read that right. A drop-off in the divorce rate of 50%. So if you attend church to those who don't, there's a 50% less likelihood that you're going to see divorce happen. Couples who go to church together on a regular basis have the lowest divorce rates of any group ever studied. That's good news, and we need to hear that. Shanti's book clearly brings out that one of the main differences between marriages that survive and those that fail is hope, is an understanding that, hey, if we push through this situation, we're going to last. We're going to stay together. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Like the stats show, a high proportion of marriages do succeed. They stay together. But I also want to say, we don't just need hope. We need commitment. We need commitment to understand that marriage isn't about a feeling of love. Marriage is a decision that I am going to stay committed to this person. Genesis 2 verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, I really just hope that this morning hearing the truth about marriages has given some people hope. And that for the sake of your spouse and your family, you're going to do everything you can to keep the commitment that you made on your wedding day. Which brings us to point number two, your family. God gives us all families and expects us to be committed to them, to love them, to provide for them, to spend time with them. But we hear so often of people who look after everyone else but neglect their families. Gary Smalley says one of the best ways to show warmth and support to our kids is to make an unconditional commitment to them for life. The kind of commitment that says, you're important to me today and in the future. 
Whatever happens, no matter what you do, I'm committed to you. Now, I just feel that I just need to share. A couple of weeks ago, the youth had, you know, that talk, the sex talk. And it's important that it, we have a godly perspective on this. You know, if you are thinking about having kids, but you're not ready to make that commitment to them for life, then wait. Don't make the decision now. But also, the best place to have kids is in marriage. So if you don't have one of these on your finger, or you don't wear it during the weekends, it's probably a good sign as well, then maybe, well, no, not maybe, you should wait until you're married to have kids. And you should not be putting yourself in a situation where you could be having kids, if you know what I mean. Now, for the youth, Pastor Helen says, give it to me straight. So to all the unmarried people here today, the Bible says, and I firmly agree with God, don't have sex unless you are married. And I better point this out. With the person you're married to. Some people are getting that. That's okay. Just thought I'd better put that in there. Anyway, back to commitment to our families. Yeah, there's, you know, we need to hear this stuff. God did, created marriage. And it's understanding God made marriage. God made families. And we need to listen to his instructions that are put in here. But anyway, uh, a, a few years ago, a professional boxer was asked in a television interview, who was the most encouraging person in his life? And without hesitation, straight away on live TV, he said, it's my dad. He's my best friend. And he will always be. This is a professional boxer. He said, when I was 19, I went through a real bad time. Some of my family resisted me, and many of my relatives didn't understand. But my, my dad told me that even though he was hurt by what I had done, I was his son, and he would always love me and always be there to pick me up. You know, but on the other hand, the lack of love and unconditional commitment can leave a young person so scarred and feeling alone and abandoned. Let me read you this story. It's so powerful. A frightened 18-year-old boy was standing in court, listening as the judge addressed him. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, disgracing your family's name, causing your parents a great deal of distress and embarrassment. Your father is a close friend of mine, and it grieves me that I have to sentence you for your crime. With his head down, looking very embarrassed, the young man asked if he could speak before the sentence was given. He said, Sir... I don't want to be disrespectful or to make excuses for what I did, but I really envy you. You see, there were many days and nights that I wanted, my father's, I wanted to be my father's best friend. There were many times when I needed his help with schoolwork or some dating advice or just for him to be there in hard times. But my father was away on committees. I don't like this part, but it's in the story. Or playing golf. I've always felt like other things were more important to him than I was. I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I really wish I knew my father like you do. The judge was stunned by this. He thought about the boy's words and put him on probation and ordered the boy and his father to spend quality time together every week. You know, and that was the turning point in that boy's life. It's a scary but true story. And I want to say I don't think we'd ever regret keeping our commitments to our family. So next one, point three, to church. George Barner, this is Pastor Tark's long-lost uncle in America. Not really. 
He says that less than 40% of, church, of Christians who describe themselves as faithful members even attend church. Now, that's in America. He also says that 20 to 25% of Christians in America change churches every year. That's terrible. I just, that's my opinion anyway. Josh Harris has written a book called Stop Dating the Church. There's a picture of it coming up on the screen. And because what he is saying is Christians treat church like teenage relationships. When they see a better girl over there, they drop that one and go to that one. When times get a little bit rough or you find there's a fault in that one, oh, you just drop that guy and go and find a different one. You know, that's teenage relationships, but church should not be like that. The main point of his book is believers often shun a passion, passionate commitment to the local church because there's flaws in the local church. Well, let me tell you something. There's flaws in the local church because there's people like you and I in it. You've heard me say it before that I'm very passionate about the local church. I believe in it. And Josh states that the local church is the key to spiritual growth and how for a Christian. He calls, and I call us all, to a passionate commitment to the local church that God has planted you in. Hopefully for all of you, it's here. Not just looking for something that makes you feel good. Because God hasn't set his kingdom up that way. So you may be asking, although the truth is you guys are all here, so you're already doing this, but what does it look like to be committed to a church? Well, the first one, of course, is attendance. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. I want to ask you this question. Does your family get up on a Sunday morning and ask the question, are we going to church today? It's probably not a good sign. Maybe some, you know some people who suffer, suffer with Sunday-itis, where a sneeze and they're back to bed on a Sunday morning, but if it's a Monday or to Friday, a sneeze isn't going to stop them from getting to work. What about committed to church growth and soul winning? Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. You know, right now in all our life groups, we're doing the REACH Challenge. And I just want to encourage you, get along to a life group. That's so important. But part of the life groups for this term is going through the REACH Challenge. And it's something by Joel Holm that's so powerful. And it helps us make that connection with the people around us to see them just be invited along to church. So I really want to encourage you, get to a life group this week. Last one, see, committed to church needs. We're all one body. We're one big, massive family, all of us. Are you playing and paying your part through serving and giving? We are all called to be part of this body, not just spectators. So finally, to God. Really briefly, the biggest commitment we should have is to God. Mark 12 verse 30 simply says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. As Christians... Our commitment to God must be first and foremost. But sadly, in today's busy world, it becomes the last commitment. When all else is done, then we spend time with God. Putting Him first, seeking to do His will, that needs to be our top priority. You know, one of my favorite verses is Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, that verse is so true. Just like tithing, it doesn't make sense, but it works. Putting God first may seem the opposite to what the world says, but as you put God first, 
God works it out. God adds to your life. I want to encourage you, stay committed to him. A few thoughts on keeping your commitment to God and being in full-time ministry for you, which we all are every day. One, true commitment does not have an on and an off switch. True commitment is on the whole time. It's not a Sunday thing. It's a 24-7, 365 days of the year. There's no vacations being a disciple, being a follower of God. There's no days off. We should be the same person we are Monday to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, the Bible says that if we come along to church and we, we know how to play church, that's, that's called being a hypocrite. But the truth is, one, that's not being committed to God, but two, it doesn't benefit anyone. You know, it's worth being committed to God. So in conclusion, of course we all want to be fully committed to our commitments, especially to God, our families. But keeping our commitments means pressing through in the hard times, because they do come. It's when things get tough that we really test our commitments. Do our commitments go out the window when our family or our marriage relationship goes through a hard time? Do we ditch God or church in the trials and just keep Him in the blessings? Because the trials are where you deep, dig deeper into God. You know, remember Ruth and her rock-solid commitment to God and her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's an inspiration to me to stay fully committed to God and to see and fully committed to my family. But through that, you see God work great things. Now, let me finish with this story. Two brothers were fighting in the same platoon in World War II. One was hit by a German bullet. The other one escaped and asked permission of his officer to go back and bring his brother back to safety. The officer said, he's probably dead. There's no use in you risking your life. But after more pleading from the older brother, the officer let him go. And just as the older brother reached safety with his wounded brother on his, soldier, on his shoulder, the wounded brother died. There you see, said the officer, you risk your life for nothing. No, replied Tom. I did what he expected of me. When I found him and took him into my arms, he said, Tom, I knew you would come for me. As the musicians come, there you have it. This is commitment. Someone expects something noble of you, something unselfish of all of us. Someone expects us to be faithful. Someone expects us to keep our commitments. That someone is God. That someone is our husband or wife, our family. That someone is also the brothers and sisters in Christ that we see around us today. I want to say that God is challenging me. I hope that he's spoken something to you about commitment, maybe changing your perspective on commitment. Or maybe he's speaking an area of commitment in your life that you can just spend a little bit more time on. I really do want to say, though, I hope I haven't offended anyone this morning because I do believe that getting God's perspective on commitment is freeing. It will release us into much more that God has got for us.